Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ron on here. ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And what we have to talk about is the start of the NFL season. And the Giants, they have a game in the book. And we all know that it was an absolute debacle. I've, I've actually used this phrase now, it seems like, uh, on a regular basis, uh, the several years, uh, almost in a row. There was a one respite when the Giants actually won in, in Dallas. Uh, was it 2016, the one year they had a good year? But geez, that's another debacle in Dallas earlier to start the season. And I was thinking about it. It reminds me of that game. What was it? 2015, I believe, with Rashad Jennings and they, they, uh, and he, you know, Eli Manning told him to fall down and not score. And then he, they threw the ball out of bounds and they, they lost in unfathomable ways, right? In that game. And, that I thought was the worst, one of the worst games I've ever covered. Probably the worst Giants game and loss I've ever covered was that game in 2015, I believe it was, uh, the opener in Dallas. But this, while not quite at that level, kind of ranks up there, to be honest with you, with worst losses I've seen from the Giants in a while because this was just bad, 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 bad defensively. Just terrible performance. They lose 35-17, to and let's be honest, the Dallas Cowboys, if they wanted, could have scored 40-something, maybe 50 points. They shut it down almost in the middle of the third quarter. The middle of the third quarter of the opener. And really the discouraging part, and we're going to start here with the, the good and the bad from this game, and obviously there's way more bad than there is good, is that the Giants were just overmatched, right? You're looking at the rosters. You're looking at the talent levels on the field, and the Dallas Cowboys were just so superior to the New York Giants, it wasn't even funny. Like, you just knew that there was no chance. You watched, you had to watch like five minutes, and you realized, oh, my God, this is a mismatch. It would have been a massive upset for the Giants to even stay in the game. The Cowboys have... Different make difference makers at pretty much every level. Defensively, offensively, the Giants, man, you're looking at it on a field and you're realizing where are the difference makers, especially on that defense. And it, you know what the the early answer to that right now is? They have difference makers at no levels, none, zero, not even close. Their linebackers, Alec Ogletree and Tay Davis, woof. Jeez, that was bad. I mean, they were just biting on every play action that I, and I watched the tape again. Yeah, we're taping this on a Wednesday. I watched the tape the last two days, uh, the coaches tape back and forth, up and down, fine tooth comb, and jeez, they were bad. Antoine, but they were supposed to be the veteran safety. I don't even know what he was doing on some plays. And the Giants tried a little bit of everything. I was looking at some of the numbers. We have these next-gen stats, by the way, which are pretty spectacular, right at your disposal immediately. And, you know, they tried uh, single-high safety looks. They tried uh, two deep safety looks. They tried to blitz. They tried to bring five, six guys against Dak Prescott. It didn't matter. Now, granted, the Dallas Cowboys played brilliantly. I mean... When I went over and watched that tape, I know Dak Prescott 
didn't get touched. And that we'll get to that in a second. That's part of the Giants' problems. But there was some really nice plays he made there. Uh, there was one play he was under pressure and blitzed, and he threw an absolute dime down the left sideline for a long completion. Uh, dropped it right in the bucket. It was that that play. Go look on my Instagram, and I'll have like a, a gift recap this week at some point. I'm a little little slow on the trigger right now uh, because it's week one, and I'm all over the place with the new baby and everything. But it'll be up, I promise you. And I'll explain why this was such a disaster and some of the things that the Giants just need to get fixed. Uh, so some more of the bad, uh, the pass rush, the Giants. Next-gen stats had them at one pressure. One pressure of, of, of Dak Prescott. One! How could you win in the NFL with one pressure? I don't think it's possible. Now, the Buffalo Bills this week are going to be a, a little different challenge, and I'll get to that in a few minutes, but they better get more pressure against the Bills. Josh Allen, a way inferior offensive line. And sticking on the bad, you have to sit there at this point and scratch your head. This is year two of Pat Shermer, right? This is year four of him as a head coach. And there's still things... Did my voice just crack there? I think my voice just cracked there. I'm hitting puberty. I finally did it. <laughs> but Pat Shermer, you have to be concerned with some of the things you see from him. Like, I understand. And I gave him a pass a bunch last year with some decision-making and some things, you know, third and 20, uh, late in the game, they're losing and they're just dumping the ball off. And uh, 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 the way he used the timeout, I believe, in the Saints game. And just some of his decision-making, the inconsistency there with going for two and not going for two. And you're like, okay, you know, it's his first year coaching the Giants. You give a little leeway. You give a little break. And you say, you know, he should improve on this. But now we're talking about year four of him as a head coach. These are things that should happen when you're a first-year head coach, not the second time around when you're getting a second chance as a head coach. And Saquon Barkley, and I know they were losing – and I know they didn't touch the ball a lot in the second quarter, but you got to get him more than 11 carries. You got to get him more than 15 touches. That's just insufficient. And then to be defiant afterwards, come on. Just can't happen. It can't. And what really surprised me, and I do think Pat Shermer is actually a pretty good offensive coach. He schemes guys open. When I look at the numbers and you look at uh, – average, you know, distance that the receivers are from their defenders, average yards of separation, it's always solid because I think he could scheme a good offense. But this game, I don't know what happened to the Giants, and they better get this fixed going forward, and they probably will because they could be without Sterling Shepard, although I, I would, if I had a bet on him whether he could play or not, barring a setback, I would say he, I, I'd say he probably will. But, I mean, the Giants built this team, okay? Look at what they built. The team is built around Saquon Barkley. You have a quarterback who's a passenger. We all know that. He's not, a, he's not the conductor. He's not the guy who's going to lift and, and drive everybody and, and make everyone better. And you can't, go have him, you can't go jump on his shoulders and have him lift you, right? Eli Manning is not that player at this point. He's 38 years old. He hasn't played that great in recent years. He's not that level of a player. At this point of his career. Almost not even debatable. But you build a team around Saquon Barkley. You have some tight ends. 
That's one of the strengths of this team. Maybe the strongest position aside from running back. Tight end. You're built to be a power team, run the ball a lot, two tight ends, go with those power packages, try and keep the ball out of the hands of your opponent because you know your defense isn't that talented. And what do they do in the opener? They run 76% three wide receiver sets. They went less two tight end sets than they did all of last year. What are they doing? Pat, what are you doing? Short on wide receivers this week against the Buffalo Bills. They better get up there, run the ball, get in heavy sets. I mean, do I agree with that's the way the franchise should operate moving forward and that's how you're going to eventually win Super Bowls? No, I don't. But that's how they built this team. So to then go and not use your personnel to the best of their ability is just silly. Silly. Flat. Silly. Some other bad, and we'll stick on this a little bit, the rollouts, they worked the end of last year, right? They, they, people were taking them by surprise. The Giants, this was the, op, the offense they were going to operate. We're going to see the quarterback move out of the pocket more, roll. But the Dallas Cowboys, like every other team in this league, they get to watch the film too. They get to go and say, this is how they're going to operate their offense. That's fine. Eli Manning is not mobile in the first place. Our linebackers are super fast. Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith, are you kidding me? They're, who do you think's winning a race to the sideline? Those guys are Eli Manning. So they're prepared for it. Giants ran it three or four times with very little to no success because the rest of the league catches up, right? So when the Giants are going to sit there and tell you, look at our offense at the end of last year, and that's what they kind of were, were banking on, all offseason telling you, yeah, you know, look, we operated without Odell in the final four games just fine. Look how well we did. Yeah. Do you think you could do it over 16 games when other teams are prepared for you? How much respect are other teams going to have for them downfield at this point? Who is going to make be that big downfield receivers for them? It is going to be hard for this team to really make those big plays in that pass game. Now, Evan Ingram is that guy. You'll occasionally get like a – a Cody Latimer deep downfield pass. Maybe, maybe you'll get a, um, Darius Slayton at some point will come back from injury. Still struggling with that hamstring doubt. We see him again this week, but this is what the offense is. It's going to be a, a, a dink and dunk fest. Hope Saquon breaks a big one and just try and move the ball methodically downfield. And it's really hard to score points that way. And that's why the Giants offense realistically only scored 10 points in this game. Got a touchdown late, racked up a lot of yards late. Uh, it's just, it's going to be hard for them to put up big point numbers consistently. Can they do it occasionally? Yeah. Can they do it consistently? I have my doubts. I have my doubts. Maybe when Golden Tate comes back and Sterling Shepard gets healthy again and Evan Ingram is, uh, uh, you know, fire, firing at all c- cylinders, then maybe, yeah, this offense could score some points, but. Uh, you know, you have a quarterback who's, who's a pedestrian player at this point and he's just a, a passenger in this, in this train. It, it's really hard. It's really hard. I mean, there's some teams out there now that are scoring points with ease, like the Cowboys. They were scoring points with ease. Offensive line look good. That Cowboys team looks good. The real deal. The, the NFC East, by the way. There's two haves and two have-nots. I think it's pretty clear. 
the Giants and the Redskins, and then the Eagles and the Cowboys. And to me, barring injury, the talent discrepancy between the top two and the bottom two is wide. It is wide. Final complaint on the bad side of of that just embarrassing, really, 35-17 loss is the checkdowns. The third and long checkdowns. Okay, you want to do it in the second quarter when you're down 7 or 10. I get it. Take those completions, as Pat Shermer said. He has no problems with it. He better have a problem with it, by the way. Because you can't be checking down, down 20-something points in the middle of the third quarter on third and long, two, you know, two possessions in a row, basically. You just can't. Here's the deal. You have to at some point, and I know, they're risky throws. You're going to have to make some tight window throws. You're going to have to take risks. But if you're down 20 points, you got to take those risks. Eli Manning can't be checking those down. Now, the loss isn't on his shoulders. I get it. He wasn't terrible. Right? He actually played okay. But later in the game, and maybe this is me nitpicking, can you please take some risks? When you're down 20 points in the third quarter, you can't just check down on third and 12 every time. You can't. You have to try and make some tight window throws. The Giants are not made right now to be in that position. Trailing, trying to come back, you know, more than a touchdown with their offense the way it is. They're just not built for that. This is a power, run, ride Saquon offense. That's their recipe for winning games. And if they're out of that, they have, they're going to have a hard time winning games. That's seven and nine that I predicted. It looks like that's not going to happen. So let's talk about a few positives because they're going into play the Bills. I think this will be a much more accurate indicator of where this team is, right? Because let's be honest. I didn't pick the Giants to beat the Cowboys. And I don't think anybody really expected them to beat the Cowboys. They were big underdogs. Touchdown, seven and a half points in in some places. So if they pulled that off, it would have been a huge upset. Now, home against the Buffalo Bills, who they're not a bad team. Probably more along the average team. You know, seven and nine, nine and seven range. Good defense, but nowhere near the talent level, top to bottom, as the Dallas Cowboys. Giants in their home opener. If you can't win your home opener against the Buffalo Bills, now we have problems. And here's the thing: let's say they lose, right, and they don't score forty-five points and. Just you know, lose like they did against the New Orleans Saints several years back when it was just a up and down shootout and defense couldn't stop, and that's why they lost. Let's say that happens; they lose to the Bills. Now they're zero and two. Even the realists—I mean, even sorry—I I figure I consider myself among the realists who said before the season I didn't think they were a playoff team. Even the eternal optimists at zero and two have to realize. This team probably isn't making the playoffs. So what's the use of trotting out a 38-year-old quarterback? The future of the franchise is already on the roster. The calls for Daniel Jones are going to start coming in. 0-2 with a home loss to the Buffalo Bills. The playoffs looking very unlikely for a team that really talent-wise isn't that good. The calls for Daniel Jones will start for real. This week, if the Giants lose to the Bills. You just know that. 
So this week is going to give us a real indication of what we can expect from the Giants this season. If they win this game, my 7-9 and nine prediction that I had to start the season, something along those, those lines, you could still realistic. 1-1, one and one, games against Tampa, and the Redskins on deck, pretty good shape. But if you lose and you're sitting there at 0-2, you have to realize this season is going to be all about developing Daniel Jones. The number one priority for this team, no matter who you are, you're going to have to admit, is going to be developing Daniel Jones. And that's going to mean getting him as much playing time probably as possible and letting him learn. Because, look, we talked I, we talked to Kurt Warner at some point this summer, and he said it. Josh Allen, who was in this situation, the Bills quarterback, he said it today, uh, today's Wednesday. We talked to him on a conference call today that there's really no substitute from getting that experience of being on the field in games in the NFL. And that that experience of getting in there and being able to learn by really, to be honest with you, some of your failure by some of your failures, that's the only way to really do it and sure there are examples otherwise but when you are not a playoff caliber team which I think if they lose this game most people will agree that's the case then what are you doing what are you doing what's the what's your purpose Saquon Barkley let's talk about him for a second when we're talking about some of the good from this past week he was great. 11 carries, 120 yards, 59-yard run. He now has, imagine this, eight rushes of 40 or more yards since the start of last year. That is twice the amount of any other player in the entire NFL in regards to running plays. Twice as much as anybody else. I mean, the guy is spectacular. Got to find ways to get it in the ball. Got to find ways. Uh Evan Ingram. I told everybody. I was trying to jump up and down. Hey, Evan Ingram, going to have a big year. All you got to do is stay healthy. Now, granted, we don't know if that's going to happen. We'll find out over the long term, over the next three months, three-plus months. But when he's on the field, he's going to be a huge factor in this offense. He had a huge game the other day. I know a lot of it was late. But still, 14 targets, 11 catches, 116 yards with a touchdown. Evan Ingram. Has potential. Has a chance. Stay healthy. A thousand yards receiving this year. Said it from the start. He has a, he had a great week one. There's nothing that indicates to me otherwise at this point. And, uh, you want to talk about a couple other positives? The only person I saw in the Giants front seven defensive line that I thought actually played well and, and did some things. It's clear to me that BJ Hill is their best defensive lineman, best front seven player. I mean, He's a little disruptive in there. Now, should he be your number one option? No. I would like if he's my number three or four option. But to me, watching the tape and watching closely the way he violently uses his hands is impressive. I was going into the season a little wishy-washy on him saying, hey, what is B.J. Hill really going to be? Right? He had, uh, I forget the exact number, four sacks, four and a half sacks, something like that in his rookie year. From the interior. Not bad. Pretty good. Third round pick. Yeah, looks good. But is he just a average starter? Is he a guy who could be a little bit more? Can he be a pro baller? We don't really know. We need to see more in order to get there. 
And I, when I was watching that film, I'm, I, I left saying, I think this guy has a chance to be a good occasional Pro Bowl player. Now, is he a real difference maker, a perennial Pro Bowler, all pro? No, I don't think he's going to be that level. But I do like what I see with him. And then Riley Dixon. I mean, that's where we're at this point. The punter had a good game. I mean, that was one of the few positives. We're going to the punter in week one. Dropped three punts inside the 20. Had a good game. We're looking for positives here. Anything. We're scraping the barrel in week one. All right, let's go to the next section. I, I, I can't. I can't, I can't talk about that Dallas game any longer. On to the next one. Ah, uh, yes. It's time now for that part of the show where I answer all your deepest, darkest Giants questions in Giants After Dark. Now, here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do an extended segment here because I know I've fallen behind a lot lately. I was MIA for a little while. Little Brody Ronan entered this world and shook my world and turned it upside down, and I wasn't here for you. So I want to be here for you guys as much as possible. So I'm going to take a whole bunch of questions here, okay, in this Giants After Dark, and try and answer them as honestly as possible. And I took what I thought were the best ones. So thank you for everyone that sent me a question. I couldn't get to all of them, obviously. Uh, There's always way too many for me to answer all of them. And a lot of them, by the way, are, are sometimes a repeat question, so uh, that eliminates some of you guys as well. So if you did ask one of these questions that gets asked, even though it's not your name, I, I trust me, I saw it. Uh, we just, I just happened to pick the first one I saw. That's why I picked that one over yours. So let's start with Jacob Johnson from Twitter saying, do you think Shermer makes it through the season? Week one already, and we're talking about Pat Shermer losing his job, huh? Uh, we're really firing it up quick. But I get it. I mean, you're talking about a coach who has a career winning percentage of barely over uh, 300, which is brutal. 5-11 and 11 campaign last year. Could be a bad start to this year. At least week one was. Now, I don't see him getting fired this season. Now, I will never say he's not because I thought there was no chance McAdoo was. But if things just go so poorly, so badly, and go off the rails completely, then, yeah, it's a possibility. But they just drafted a quarterback that he's now attached to. Uh, if it goes really badly this year, he's always going to be able to turn the page and go to Daniel Jones and say, look, we're building around this guy. We need time with him. Do we really want him to have a new offense? So I don't think the Giants, and they really don't want to turn it over. They don't want to have Daniel Jones have to learn a new offense already in year two. They don't want to, after having really uphauled the entire roster to fit this coaching staff, then say, we, we want, oh, no, we're, we're changing directions now. Things would have to go really, really badly. And I'm talking about just beyond, uh, you know, six and 10 bad. Like six and 10, yeah, I don't even, I think he still comes back. It would have to go worse than that. So, all right. Next question. Brian. At Brian, 62452851. That's a lot of numbers, by the way, Brian. From Twitter says, since the defense was so bad last week, do you think we're going to see a lot more of Julian Love and Corey Ballantyne this week against the Bills? Now, listening to the coaches this week, I think that we will see some different personnel, especially at cornerback. I think it's going to be more DeAndre Baker than anything else. Corey Ballantyne, I think we could see him a little bit. Julian Love, though, 
Let me say, I don't think Julian Love is close to playing right now. I don't think the Giants view him as being close to being able to play. Now, Corey Ballantyne as well. I think they think he's raw. He doesn't know what he's doing half the time in regards to the schemes. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's coming from Washburn, right? Might be good on the physical side, but the X's and O's part and knowing the plays and knowing, understanding schemes and what's going on around him and the speed, that's a big jump. Big jump. So I would kind of be surprised if we saw a lot of Corey Ballantyne or Julian Love at this point. I think the likelihood is we see a lot less Antonio Hamilton, which I know will make you guys happy, right? And way more of the first-round pick is DeAndre Baker, who, by the way, missed a bunch of time because of a knee injury. So that kind of slowed his progression down. Now let me explain this because I'm not sure a lot of people understand why they played Antonio Hamilton. Part of it had to do with the fact that DeAndre Baker was coming back from an injury. But the other part of it was, and, and Antonio Hamilton, who is tackling, was just atrocious. That, to me, was the most despicable part of what we saw the other day in regards to the Giants' cornerbacks. It just seems like he was pushing guys. His form, terrible. Got a rap. You know, drive. You can't just push guys down and it's the NFL. It's not big enough, strong enough to do that. So Antonio Hamilton played zero snaps defensively last year. But the Giants thought he had a great summer. They really did. They thought he played really well this summer. Thought he, he outplayed, really, DeAndre Baker and Corey Ballantyne and Julian Love. So they thought he earned the opportunity in games to show what he can do, that he could carry it over from the summer practice preseason onto the field in the regular season. Now, prove that Antonio Hamilton does not, I shouldn't say deserve, is not ready or isn't capable of playing that kind of role. And I think we found that out, so we're not going to see that very much longer. Uh, at the Ryan Menzies says, if the defense continues to be this bad, could you see them going to Jones sooner than later? It seems pointless to keep rolling Eli out there if the offense won't matter that much. And the answer to that is yes. Because that'll mean they're losing games. And this is really the whole point. We know. I mean, if, if you're being realistic with yourself at all, you should realize that this defense is not good enough with the offense, too. I mean, combined. The, the team as a whole is not good enough for you to seriously can think, think that they're a contender, a real contender. Either, either you have to be the Chiefs offense with a terrible defense, or you need a, a good defense, a really good defense, with an offense that's the level of the Giants, probably. The Giants' offense will probably be middle of the road, let's say. So in order to have a middle-of-the-road defense, you better damn well have a top, awesome offense to offset that. And the Giants don't. They can't just you know put up 30 points left and right. As a matter of fact, they rarely ever put up 30 points the last three years. They did a couple times late last year, but that's it. So the combination means... Yes, they're going to lose more games. And once they start losing games and everybody comes to the realization that, hey, they're not making the playoffs, which it's all relative. It depends on the perspective, what that means, right? Uh, 0-3, we know they're probably not making the playoffs. I don't think the Giants will be willing to throw it in that quickly. But, yeah, middle of the season, I think if they're 3-6, and 
then we're going to get to the point where, yeah, you'll see Daniel Jones. But if they hover in mediocrity, split the first four games still, go two and two, and are, you know, three and four after seven and, and, uh, four and six after ten, I still think we're going to see Eli rolled out there. And you're not going to see Daniel Jones until real late in the year. So the worse the defense is, the more losses they pick up, the earlier we see Daniel Jones. I think that's the obvious. All right, we got Donlin underscore Chris from Instagram. First, congrats on the baby. Secondly, we all knew this was going to be a transition year for the team. Eli to Jones, youth movement on defense. Any chance the coaches don't see next year? If when the Giants pick top 10 again, I already addressed that. Feel like it would be counterintuitive, especially on defense, since it seems they're drafting guys to fit better system. Also, Jones learning two offenses in two years wouldn't be great. Does Gettleman make next year the prove-it year after a big offseason with a lot of cap room and potential top pick? Yeah. I think they make it through this year, especially Gettleman in the front office. They made all their moves. Okay. The, the, the Giants' ownership wanted to see them. They want to see them progress. That's what they said. In order for this to be a successful year, Pat Shermer said it, Dave Gettleman said it, ownership said it. They have to show progress. Now, Let's say they stay around the same. They keep everybody around, which I still think would happen. They have one more year to sort of get it right. So, yeah, next offseason, this, this next offseason, the pressure will be on Gettleman. You have to. You have to get this team headed in the, the right direction, especially talent-wise. Because they could sit there and think their talent level is better. When you look around that field, we know the reality. You don't just get rid of Odell Beckham. You don't just get rid of uh, Landon Collins. You don't just get rid of... Olivier Vernon, these are all good players, great players. Not all great, but, I mean, some of them were. Pro Bowl-level players. I mean, you're filling them with guys you're hoping grow into that. But you're being unbelievably optimistic to think that guy's like, okay, Jabril Peppers is going to be better than Landon Collins. You're hoping. It's me. You're crossing your fingers. You can't even realistically look at anyone on this roster and think that they're going to be better than Odell. Olivier Vernon, too. If any of these... Defense alignment evolve into the player that Olivier Vernon's been for his career. I'm talking about edge rushers. You'd say that's great because they don't have that guy. They don't have the Von Miller lining up for them. All right, next question. At Rissraw72 from Twitter says, My wife is making me sleep on the couch until the Giants get their first win. Well, it happens Sunday. The couch is super uncomfortable. Yeah, well, uh, if they don't win Sunday... You're in for a long season, buddy. I don't know when that first win comes. Uh, I know that the, the schedule, it's easy. It might be until week four. I mean, they'll be underdogs against the, in Tampa the following week. So, and I, first of all, I hope you're not serious because there's few things in life that are better than your own bed, right? I mean, sleeping in your own bed is just an amazing feeling. You, you just, you need, you want to be in your own bed. It just makes you feel Unbelievable. Your back hurts less. You sleep better. You sleep sounder. Everything's so much better about that. And I do give you props. If your wife legitimately won't let you onto the in the bed until they win, her giant dedication, her dedication to the Giants is commendable. That's really some show of support for the team. I mean, geez. Either that or you're just a complete lunatic and you're so into the Giants and so overboard that she won't let you into bed until you actually stop moping after losses. Either way, quite the situation you're in, quite the predicament. Good luck on that. Final question, 
NYCAT at NickFan1970 said, is Ryan Connolly close to starting? Ryan Connolly, of course, is the fifth-round linebacker from Wisconsin who played, by the way, a lot of snaps the other day. A lot more than I was expecting. I believe, and I'm trying to pop it up here. I'm not sure if I have it. I don't have the uh, snap count here right in front of me. But he was on the field for a good chunk of snaps, pretty much the same or maybe even more than Tay Davis. Now, I thought Tay Davis was a starter, and Tay Davis looked terrible, by the way. Uh, but he's more the pass coverage guy. Whereas Ryan Connolly, I think they just think of a better all-around linebacker. They like the instincts. Instincts, instincts is what you hear about him. And so, yeah, they're basically split time anyway at that other linebacker spot next to Alec Ogletree. So, tomato, tomato, whether they start or not. I mean, he could be start this week in a base defense where they're looking at the other team more likely to run the ball, like sort of where B.J. Goodson was. And B.J. Goodson was starting most of the games. I could absolutely see Ryan Connolly fall into the starter role. I could actually, as we go along here, even see him take even more playing time from Tay Davis. So the Giants could be starting a fifth-round linebacker at some point. Definitely in the realm of possibilities. And that's it for this week's Giants After Dark. Appreciate all your questions. Feel free to send them to me anytime. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, email. You know where to find me. On to the next one. All right, our final little segment here. Let's go with a little Jordan on the beat. And uh, this is almost like a little humble brag, and I apologize in advance for that. But I'm going to tell you guys and girls and men, and women, about what it's like to cover a game at AT&T Stadium, which is Dallas's home stadium, which I love, by the way. Great stadium. Uh, party-like atmosphere, just tons of people there. They got the cheerleaders like standing on these uh, platforms of, of cinder blocks, kind of. It's just a cool atmosphere. The screen above the stadium, awesome. The press box, very nice. But I'll give you a little rundown. You go and cover, first of all, people are always like, uh, you know, it was at first 103 degrees there. So it's scorching hot. It's like, wow, you got to go to Dallas, 103 degrees. And you're like, eh, let's be honest. Sitting in a press box, okay? Uh, you're in a stadium that's indoors. So climate controlled. It's not super hot in there. It's nice and comfortable. And like, even when you, when you go, it's like negative 10 degrees to Buffalo and it's snowing. People are like, oh, it's going to be freezing there. Well, as the press and someone who covers the Giants and an ESPN reporter, I sit in the press box. And in the press box, it's eh, it's covered. It's nice. Temperature controlled. Not freezing. And they give you free food. Right? I mean, so really, how hard a life are we living here? You go to Dallas. And this is really what I want to tell you guys about. The food at Dallas, let me tell you. Outrageous. The press box food is just really something. Even their dessert, they have a dessert table, okay? And we're talking about, like, birthday cake, uh, parfaits, and uh, just a candy bar with all kinds of candy, like little Snickers and Milky Ways and some gummy candies. And you just get to, like, put it in a little bowl and bring to your desk. I mean, come on. To talk about being treated like kings, it's to the level that Dallas, Jerry Jones, he has a beer tap. For the media in the press box after games. You can't make this up. This is true. So don't, don't let anybody tell you that this is such a tough job. You go to the AT&T Stadium. They have a London broil or, uh, some sort of prime rib 
that they're cutting up for you, like when you go to a bar mitzvah or a wedding, you know, with the horseradish sauce, they got different salads, uh, some very good mac and cheese. It's got some kind of crunch breadcrumbs in it that's good, you know, uh, tacos at halftime. I mean, there was a little, little mini egg rolls. There was little mini egg rolls after the game. And my buddy over at The Athletic, Connor Hughes, covers the Jets. I know he does, uh, he rates press box food. You should follow Connor, by the way. Uh, he rates press box food at all the press boxes he's been. And I don't know where Dallas is. I think it's at the top, or at least it's damn near the top. But if, if it's not, it should be. Because the luxuries that they give you at this smorgasbord, I swear, you're at a wedding. It's like going to a wedding. You know what? Next next baby I have, I, I'm not going to have another one. But if I did, I'm going to call the Dallas Cowboys and, ha- and press box and have them cater the bris for the next baby if I have another boy. Because the food there was better than the, the food at the bris that we had for the for our my son. No joke. And that dessert table, number one in my book. Mwah! The life of a reporter. It's really, really tough to be me. Let me tell you. You know, usually... This year I had to bypass it, but usually the trip to Dallas is always, they've been playing the opener almost every year. Last year was week two, but squeezing around the golf on Saturday, you go to the game on Sunday or Sunday night, or you go out at night on Saturday, you have a good dinner, you go to the game on Sunday, you eat that press box food, there's the beer afterwards. It's a trip. It's a great way to start the season. Makes you feel, let's go. Stick 15 more of these to go. Although the food at most of the places does not reach that, reach that standard. Actually, in my opinion, doesn't reach that standard anywhere else in the league. Dallas, Jerry Jones, you do it right for us. And for that, I say thank you. That's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. You can catch this podcast on all places that you catch podcasts. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. See you after the Bills game where I have the Bills beating the Giants 22-20 because right now I cannot, after that season-opening performance, feel confident enough in this defense that they're going to make key stops. And before the season, I probably would have said the Giants won this game. I actually did when I picked it. That's how I got the 7-9. to Picked them for a win here. Now, I just can't get myself to pick it. 22-20 Bills. That Bills defense is much better than people realize. Number one pass defense last year. I believe they were number two pass defense after one week this year. That's a pretty good defense. They're going to give the Giants fits, beat the Giants, 22-20, and go 2-0 in MetLife Stadium and against the New York teams. Good start to the season for Buffalo. It would be a bad, bad, bad start for the New York Giants, and the calls for Daniel Jones are only going to get louder. With that, see you next time. <laughs>